0: This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller.
1: We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation.
0: Hi, friends. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. I'm so glad that you've come along. Today's interview is one that I love with Dr. Don Dixon. He works at the Salvation Army in Florida, and you'll see from the title of this that it's the question, should nonprofits profit? Now, some of you might already kind of check out because of that. You think, oh, I'm not interested in... Money, I'm not interested in nonprofits, but if you're somebody who supports nonprofits, I think you're somebody who should be interested in this and how efficiently and effectively they can run. And Don does a wonderful job. He's educated me in this process. He's been a teacher. He's been a practitioner. He's somebody that has benefited my life and I want to share him with you. So that's what's coming on today's Mortis Story podcast, which I'm so excited today to announce a new sponsor for uh, for this. And I almost said who they are. And the Mortis Story podcast is also brought to us by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where I now work. So thankful for this studio. It's called the sacred studio do you know that wesley biblical seminary is the most diverse seminary in the country out of all the seminaries more than 300 seminaries also one more point you got to know about wbs we're offering free seminary this fall so you could go to wbs.edu and sign up for courses right now for free have you have you ever been interested in taking seminary courses and by the way it's all online you don't have to live in jackson mississippi we would love to have you now if you do live in jackson you can come and take the classes in person we'd love to see you Also, the More to the Story podcast is brought to you by WPO Development and their CEO, Keith Waters, has a great saying. He says, if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. And that's true. What Keith does and his team, he has people working with him all over the country. They come alongside people and help them develop a plan, particularly as it relates to capital campaigns and help advise people to lead them to successful implementation. And I've seen this with my own two eyes, lived it. So I really want to encourage you to check out Keith. If you're interested in a mission planning study, strategic plan or capital campaign, he can really help you. You can find him at info at WPO development, or you can just Google them. So we're excited to bring you this podcast here in a minute, the More to the Story podcast. And here's one little last plea that I have. Would you please, if you're enjoying this, would you subscribe? Maybe that's on YouTube. Maybe it's on Apple iTunes or Spotify. If you could leave a comment, share it with a friend. We're trying to get this thing going, and I would love it. If, if you've been blessed by this or if this is something God's using in your life, if you find it beneficial, if you text it to a friend or do something like that. Thank you so much, and thanks for coming to the More to the Story podcast. Well, welcome to the More To The Story podcast with Andy Miller. I am so glad that you're with us. And thank you for tuning in. And as you tune in here, I hope you'll just take a minute to subscribe to this channel on YouTube and also like our stuff. If you could go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, leave a rating, or go to Spotify. A really great thing that can happen is if you can share this with us, with other people on social media. That really just expands the influence and opportunity we have to share all of this stuff You can find at Andy Miller III. That's AndyMillerIII.com, where all of this is contained. I am excited right now today to have my friend coming into the podcast, Dr. Don Dixon. Don, it is so good to see you.
1: It's good to see you too.
0: And we we have been through a few wars together, haven't we?
1: We have, we have, but they were rewarding wars because, in part. We were successful. <laughs>
0: Amen. It's easy to like your wars when you win. That's yes, right. right? And, uh, and it's five yeah. years of wars. And uh, I wasn't quite sure, you know, what was it, who you were. People told me about you before we came. And this is Dr. Don Dixon, Ph.D., former professor at USF and a few other places. And I thought, oh, man, I don't know. He's could probably... He's probably not going to be into me. Uh, not gonna be help- i not going to be, I don't know. I'm probably, I don't speak the same language, but you and I pretty much immediately got on great
1: right away. Yeah, we hit it off. We hit it off extremely well. And actually I was appreciative of uh, you allowing me to do that kind of work with you uh, early on because um, I didn't have a reputation in the army. Right. And so nobody understood whether I or thought that I even knew what I was talking about.
0: Right. Well, that I mean, uh, one thing I've I've tried across my career, and I say career like my vocational life, my working life, I've tried to be clear on what I don't know, and um, you know a lot that I don't know, and I'm really (laughs) thankful for that. And so you were able to help me, and I didn't. I don't think I thought. I thought I've typically thought. I'm just going to show my ignorance here of social service directors being, and you of course have an MSW, MSW and a PhD in social work. I've thought of it in a very clinical way. I've thought of it as um, like maybe sometimes at odds with the army's mission. Maybe it's somebody who's just really pushing certain grants and a grant processor, but it was a whole different thing. Like what I got from you was leadership lessons Opportunities for like a negotiation. How I think more a uh, uh, big picture about programs, and that really that really influenced me. So I I'm just so thankful that God brought you into my life, Don.
1: Well, yeah, and I'm thankful that uh, I was allowed to meet you. God that God brought us together. But let me just be clear. You know, I was well grounded in my spiritual beliefs long before I got any degree. Amen. Yeah. And I never strayed away from it. There was a time when I was at odds with my church. Okay. But I never strayed away from my, the teachings. And so, what I've tried to do my entire um, professional career is use that as my guiding force. Right. You know? I, I, when I taught at the university, I would have my students do what is called a worldview paper. And many of them would say, well, can I, can I base it on my religious beliefs? And I go, absolutely. That's your foundation. You have to start there. And everything emanates from there. So, you know, it was not a big disconnect for me. And, you know, sometimes I use big words, but I try to make simple ideas
0: yeah well you um, do you do that so well and i've seen you do it with people at a variety of levels um so now you officially right now are director of social services for the florida division of the salvation army but you've tried to retire a couple of times so this is what after you've retired three times two times what what? story before
1: okay yes i i retired twice before one was for economic reasons okay back in 2008 because I was getting taken to the cleaners in my investments. And so I needed to retire to protect them. Yeah, I came back shortly after that, but then I retired again in 2012 with the expectation that I was pretty much done. Um, hmm. um, and, but I wasn't sure. So I, I put my resume out online at first, I sat down and said what I would do and what I wouldn't do, what kind of sure. jobs I wanted, what kind of job I didn't want. One of them, one thing I didn't want was to have to supervise a whole lot of people anymore or to manage these gigantic budgets. Right. Um, and um, and I also wanted to work for an organization that was unlike anything I'd ever worked for. So I put my resume out and for almost for a two year period, I got all kinds of uh, inquiries about coming to be somebody's CEO or COO. And the first question I'd ask is, um, how many people do I have to supervise? And they'd say, oh, it's only seven or eight. And I'd go, oh, thank you, no, thank you. Right. And then then finally, one day I got a call from the Salvation Army, a major, um, a Castillo. And and the first question I asked was, so how many people would I have to supervise? And he said, Two and i said okay we can talk let's talk yeah sure and, and the rest is history oh i love it <laughs> Well, yeah. We're glad.
0: Now, yeah. now, tell us just a brief. I mean, I know it's a, a big, long story, but you have some an interesting history, which even led you to work in social work and your growing up years. I think in the Panhandle area. I'd love just yeah. to hear a little bit about that before we get into the, the topic that's at hand. I hope is a, when right. you see it on the YouTube channel or you see it on the podcast, like rather nonprofit should profit. I hope it gets your attention. But I'd love. Yeah. Um, but, but tell us a little bit about where you came from and how you got here, Don.
1: Well, I grew up in Panama City, Florida. I'm a native Floridian, and um, I grew up in segregation. I I graduated from segregated high school. First time I'd ever had any meaningful uh, relationships or uh, extended conversations with white people uh, was when I went off to college at the University of Florida. I was given a, a scholarship. And I was uh, very appreciative of that. But I went off to the University of Florida, studied there for, for four years and then went to work because at that time I had a daughter and I needed to go to work. Um, and so but then I went back um, a few years later and got a master's degree at Florida State. Yeah. Um, and um and that was in social work, and I really—it was the, the field I had chosen, or yeah. had chosen me. I, I always <laughs> say. Uh, and um, by that time, also, I had moved into administration. I was starting to be to get um, highly responsible administrative jobs. Yeah. Um, so I felt that I needed to, um, and this was in mental health and substance abuse, by the way. So it was on the it was on the services side it was direct services we were i worked in major uh, facilities and um and so i spent 15 years of my career doing that but i was also an administrator and i realized then that if i'm going to be an effective minute administrator i needed to understand money and how money works and how it's how it uh, intersects with social good social work um some years later, I had an opportunity because I moved to Tampa to, to pursue a doctorate in, in social work, and, and I did. Spent, I spent 25 years of my career in the Department of Children and Families, Okay. Um, even back when it was um, called the Health and Rehabilitation Services. Okay. And I ascended to um, a, what they call a district administrator um, position. Which is actually the second, second two spots away from the governor. Wow! <laughs> so uh, I did that for a number of years. Um, left there, went to the university full time to do research. Uh, spent several years doing that, and then wound up at a at a, a children's services organization called the Children's Board of Hillsborough County. Right as the chief operating officer and so so when i say that i spent t- b- time on both sides of the f- of the fence on right. the contractor and the contractee side that's the that's that's how it, it happened and i i actually um Uh, Learned a lot from both sides of this fence about how to how to do business and do it effectively
0: Right, and that's been really helpful to me and to other people because you know Oftentimes the savage army is in a position or nonprofits in general for asking for money asking for contracts But there's another side to to realize that other people who are giving the money particularly on the government or agency side maybe not like the independently wealthy people or those type of foundations but it, it's true with them, too, but more directly with a, uh, a funder like you were in, that type of organization, mm-hmm. you need us, too. You need the nonprofit. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that was something
1: you helped me understand. Yeah, yeah one of the things i used to always say because i would hear people say i don't want to buy uh, staff i want to buy services and i used to always say well the day you see a service deliver itself call me because <laughs> i want to see it you know you yeah. buy people to deliver services yeah and so you have to buy staff that's no other way um but you know it was just it's a misconception in the field then. it's a misconception now sure um yeah.
0: I would love to talk You know, with your story of growing up in a segregated high school and going off to college. I think that's a separate podcast, and yes. I, I, <laughs> I just don't want to jump over that and act like I didn't hear that. I didn't know that about your experience and, like, and haven't already benefited from that, but I want to get to this topic here today yes. where you and I are talking about something that you and I have been presenting on for the last couple of years, trying to convince other people within our organization that it's a valuable idea the idea of a unit cost matrix. Now, don't run away from me right now, people, okay? And we just use a technical term. But the, the, the challenge is, is that if we can get to understand, this, I guarantee you that it will help you be able to resource whatever organization you have more effectively. I just know what will happen. I, I, and the challenge is, is like too often, and maybe let's hit the big topic first, Don, first. Like people think that being a nonprofit means you make zero dollars like that. You need to be begging on the street on a regular basis and that you just need to tell the people who are working for you, you know, we're just doing the best we can. Good luck. I mean, help us with that, that, uh, that false idea that nonprofits shouldn't make
1: money. It's it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. You (laughs) know, back when I was, um, when I was, uh, on the, contractor side. Right. It, we would periodically issue a request for um, proposals. And we'd, we'd get a number of people, organizations, not-for-profits, applying to provide services on, uh, on the behalf of the state. We'd go out and we'd vet these organizations. And the first thing we'd ask is, how many months um, cash reserves do you have on hand? Right. We wanted to at least them to at least have six months cash reserve. We would take ninety days. If they said we don't have any cash reserves on hand, we'd say, "Well, we don't need to talk any further."
0: Interesting,
1: because you need to be able to be solidly um, uh, 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 expensed or, or, or financed. Otherwise, we're taking a chance. To, you could be, we could put you know ten thousand dollars into your agency this month, and next month you're out of business. Right. So so it was a, so it really drove home for me the idea that the only difference between a for-profit and a not-for-profit is how they reinvest their earnings.
0: Right. This right? is key.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for-profits for tend to invest their earnings either in the leadership if they're if they're not on the stock market or they don't have investors. If they have investors, then it goes through the investors. Um, of uh, not-for-profits tend to reinvest back into the expansion or of the business or to improve quality. Right. But you want to have not only cash reserves, but you also want to earn money so that you don't have to spend down to the penny in order to survive. And once you understand that, then, you, then in a not-for-profit um, uh, uh, environment, you also need to understand, I need to understand how my money works whether right. I'm getting whether I'm getting paid for what I produce, right? And whether I'm adequately being compensated right. for what I what I produce.
0: That's a key. That's the key distinction. Yeah. Like how we figure out what it costs for us to do the work. And yeah. in the Salvation Army, we'd say the work that God has called us to do. And this is true for universities, it's true for the seminary that I'm soon soon going to be working at. Like this yeah. is like a matter of like basic business principles. And you would we want people to live this way in their own lives. Like this is the way we're Absolutely. instructing people who are in our shelter right now. We want them yep. to apply these prints. We want people to have six months a six month emergency fund if they can like we want the same thing here. Now, the problem is, is like in um, some organizations what we end up doing is we have we want to have a balanced budget, right so we have mm-hmm. ten dollars of income, then ten dollars of expense so right. then we think okay so we can't make any money, but hopefully we account for that that we are putting money other places like yeah. it, we're putting money in, in position in not you know, not in some like offshore account or something like that. (laughs) If if you're a nonprofit has any kind of like credibility or or business experience, you're going to have some type of trust accounts or or savings accounts of some kind where you can put money. So that leads us to this unit cost matrix. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can explain it. And this is something you've done for me quite a bit, Don, is that as I have tried to think I know something in life, and in uh, organizational life, I'll say it, and you'll correct me, and I'm glad to be corrected. Right? I, I want to be corrected. But the idea is, we need to figure out the unit cost, like what it costs us to provide one unit of service. And in, in my case, we used nights of shelter. And but it could be applied. What we're going to talk about with nights of shelter could be a cl- applied across the board. It could be. Um, a music lesson it could be um, a badge in a character building program it could be yeah. a meal it could be any like we take whatever a, a, the unit is and figure out what it truly costs now that's a little complicated in the Salvation Army now but did, I, did I say that all right Don did I did
1: I yes you okay. did you did yeah yeah and and, and once you understand it, 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 And I just want to be clear about some, be, okay. something because people, I think, think that I obsess about money. I don't obsess about money. I just don't want to worry about it. Amen. I, I used to say to my wife all the time, baby, I don't have to be rich. I just don't want to have to worry about money day in and day out. Wow. Yeah. And if I understand how to balance my checkbook and, and, and separate needs from wants, we can live a pretty good life and not have to worry about paying the bills. Right. So, so it's really that it's, and so and I, the way it translates uh, trans- um, to social work is I've often heard social workers say, I don't care about the money. I care about the services. Mm. And my response is then if you don't care about the money, you'll never know whether this, you're getting the, the maximum benefit from your services. So if you understand your services, then you can actually understand uh, uh, how, to, how to get the best out of them. So for, for unit cost, it's a very simple concept. How much does it cost me to provide one hour of service right. or 10 hours of service, depending on the program design or a year right. or a day? It's, it's, it's that simple.
0: What now, what we had to do, though, didn't we have to—and there's a few challenges for us because, yeah. uh, for instance, in uh, the Salvation Army in the United States, we would—we give a portion of our income to our divisional headquarters for administrative uh-huh. costs, but we also give a portion, in, in the Southern Territory at least, toward, like, the administration of camp— um, of other services across the state, disaster services, like so that we can say that all of our disaster services, one hundred percent of the income, one hundred percent of gifts goes directly to that. We cover the administrative cost. but that's something that's covered. So, like, weren't that, wasn't that some of the things you had to work through to develop this cost altogether? Sure.
1: And, well, it's a very basic model. Okay. And it is. It is. Um, in fact, I, I when we do the presentation, I show the conceptual model. It's what we call administrative costs or indirect costs. Right. And everybody has them. Right. Um, you know, if you have, if you have a CEO or, uh, or a COO or a fiscal person or an IT person, you have them. Um, and um, so that's the uh, indirect costs. And then you have direct program costs. So those are usually mostly made up of salaries, but you may be paying rent on a building to provide a service. In that case, it's not an, an administrative cost, it's a direct cost. And then food is a direct cost. Right. Those kinds of things. But but indirect plus direct equals total program cost. Now, people can argue with that, but that's basic accounting principles. right? right? So what we have historically done is ignored they indirect costs right. as part of the total costs, and in the army, right? You know that's twelve percent, right? Right off the top, administrative costs for what we call support statewide. Yes, that supports the uh, you know emergency disaster services, and that supports me and my job at BHQ right. sure. at BHQ, yeah. um, and then we support the territorial headquarters at a smaller percentage, but it's still significant. Right, let me interrupt you you there.
0: I think there's like, the the problem is, I think it's a bit of a theological problem in that we think probably in Salvation Army, we respond because we believe God's called us to this task that, right. um, when William Booth responded to a call to, to broaden the mission of the Salvation Army to right. include what he called salvation for both worlds. When that happened, like we have this obligation and obligation comes from scripture and it's our understanding of what God's call is to do. And so it, it's hard for us to get to a place where we actually think about like asking people to support our side in that. Why? Because right. it's a, it's a calling and, and um, yeah. But but you are called to be a social worker. And at yeah. the same time, you're called to take care of yourself and your family. Yeah. And you can't do that unless we're providing it's providing for these types of expenses. And what happens is because we maybe misunderstand that nature of calling, yeah. we then misunderstand the opportunity to be a healthy organization. And that's yeah. the real challenge that I think that we've come to. It's not that we don't want to embrace this, it's like we're almost too humble <laughs> yeah. to embrace. It,
1: it, what, do you agree? I agree. And 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 to put it a different way, if we are an unhealthy organization financially, we're right. not doing God's work Wow. the way God wants us to do God's work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's as simple as that. I mean, I, 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 a comparison is um, I grew up uh, Pentecostal. So in many ways, we, we, we are similar yes. in, in our th- thought processes. And I remember people in my church would say, I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm going to pray for healing. Hmm. And my mom would say, I'm going to pray for healing and I'm going to the doctor Amen. because doc- God made the doctors too. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, um, so, so, and we, so she understood that her faith was a significant part of who she was. Right. But she didn't, she wasn't crazy enough to think that if she didn't, she had some illness, she should not go to a doctor because a doctor could diagnose that problem and get it. That's exactly right. I
0: think that's, I think that's probably a part of the, I mean, and let's just say like, when you explained this to me, I was on a hundred percent with you. Like, and when we, we utilized it, but without saying names, you've run into some, uh, some people who are not interested like right. not interested in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now we won't talk about that too much, but I'm hopeful that this might help convince people. Let me give a little example of how this went well, a little long, it might take me a while to tell a story. Um, what you and I developed and you helped me develop and with our staff, accounting staff, social service staff as a whole, we figured out that it would it cost us in a, um, about $40 a night to provide mm-hmm. one night of shelter, $40 mm-hmm. a night. Well, that's significant. Um, and we had a contract That was for 75 beds where people were, where we were being, um, from a governmental agency, we were being given $17 a night. Now, that kind of comes from an old concept where every now and then in the Salvation Army, people would say, okay, you get five free nights, and then after that, you have to pay something. And that comes from a good idea that basically, you know, people need to participate in their own recovery, and maybe they could, that's a good idea. Well, what happened in the history of Tampa was we had $10 a night, and eventually um, the county came along and said, all right, we'll pay that $10 a night. Now provide, make sure you provide shelter for 75 people a night. So we took that money, mm-hmm. like gladly. Well, that's money we didn't have. And then when it went up to $17 a night, even more, praise the Lord. But what we never, never did was we never counted the cost. Right. We never figured out what it would cost us and you helped me work through this and so we were concluding a contract for these 75 beds and we came we went to the county and said we really would like to move toward this cost because you're purchasing these services from us you're it's good in the community's interest for us to not have 75 people on the street and we're going to help them and so the community's buying into the Ministry of the Salvation Army um, and it really costs us 40 dollars a night well, we did that, and they, me and you, were in there multiple meetings. And I'm glad mm-hmm. for if, if the people who are there hear this podcast. They laughed us out of the room, maybe even uh, a few smirks, and maybe even uh, some under under their breath words were used when we said mm-hmm. that this went. And they said, "Well, we'll just go put them up in the a fancy hotel downtown if that's what's going to do. If that's what's going to cost." Well, it was an interesting time because over time, they said, well, well, we'll just get somebody else to do this program." And so we said, "Fine, if somebody can do it." For cheaper than us, better than us, that's better for the community. We're happy for that. Well, nobody ever lined up. And it was only us left to do it. It was only the Salvation Army left to provide this service. So then they started negotiating with us. And it went to $25, then to $30. And we kept on saying the type of things we would do. And then I remember the very clear moment, Don, where it went from $38 finally to $40 to our number. right? And we just smiled. (laughs) You and I were smiling on a Zoom meeting together. And what that resulted in was for the exact same program, we now had an additional $700,000 a year for the ministry of the Salvation Army right. so that we were no longer subsidizing the program that was being used. Now, that's a long story. Could, could you kind of like, some people might have bristled against a few of those points and they might not sit, it might not sit well with them. What do you think those are? And, and, and kind of like, could you shoot those down for us? <laughs> does, that, does that make sense
1: Why I'm asking yeah, you know, one, one adage I'm very familiar with is the more, the more you understand, the more you have to be responsible for. And, and, um, and I've, I think it, this reluctance grows out of the fact that once I realize what it costs me to provide a service and I have no ability to, to draw that money down, Now I've got to be more creative in the way I create the 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 supplement. Right. How I'm going to 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 cost share that responsibility. That's a harder job. And and so it's easy to remain in that that blissful ignorance where, you know, it appears as if we're doing a good job, but we're pulling money out of our out of our reserves right and we are in effect bankrupting ourselves and nobody wants to admit that nobody wants to say eventually we're going to kill this programming wow if we do it that way right right um well because they
0: think they're getting paid for they're 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 going like we ring bells at christmas or we ask for a donation so why should we ask for a, a governmental entity to cover it
1: yeah, and 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 and, and uh, it got, I think it goes back to to the history of the Salvation Army where people actually thought because we were always fundraising that we were obligated to cost share. Um, the cost of services that a, an organization was contracting with us from, particularly a governmental organization. Right. And that was one of the things that we had to clarify for the people here in Hillsboro right. uh, Is that, no, you're not giving us a grant. You, you're, con- you're giving us a contract and, right. you, and full cost for contracts. Right. If you want to give us $10,000 to go do good work with, we understand that that's not going to fully uh, uh, cover the cost. But I just think, and here's the other thing. Anything new, it's, it's hard for people to buy into. And, and I knew that, I understood that from the beginning, that people were gonna be reluctant because it's new. The other part of that is we were in social services arenas and people in social services arenas believe that if the fact that they, the moment it's, it's made manifest that they don't understand how money works, that they're made to look stupid. Wow. Yeah. And so what happens is they won't even embrace it because they don't want people to think, "Oh my God, he doesn't know what he's talking about." No, right. I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to money. I'm an excellent social worker. Wow. You yeah. know, but but I just don't understand. And so I think there is a lot of reluctance. Right. Uh, I've seen people's eyes gloss over. Right, the moment you start talking about the money part of it, you know, it's yeah, like, oh it's my true. god! It, it,
0: you know, it takes like, a little bit of work, and it takes like yeah, you know, getting good. And if you're not, if you're not good at money, if you feel like ah, yeah. I can't, I can't read a balance sheet, that's okay. Right. Yeah, get somebody around you who can, right? Absolutely. Like, You know, there's certainly in every community there are going to be accountants. There's going to be CPAs, yeah. and yeah. I'm I'm kind of thinking of the Salvation Army, United States, but any nonprofit, in the United States, yeah. like those people are likely looking for avenues for service. And I, I mean, I can remember our, the very first finance chair I had. You know, it took about 15 minutes for me to understand what a receivable was. But once right. I did, man, I've, <laughs> I, I, I like that. I like to know what it is. Right, it's our, right. that very clear moment when Robert Bratkeen, if he ever is listening, uh, you know, educated me and really helped me understand how to read a balance sheet. Um, yeah. One of the th- things that interesting, you, you bring this up like uh, we were kind of questioned by the county administrators as they were telling us like, well, they, they, they were saying, well, you're doing fundraising, you know, you should be paying for this. And we kept saying, no, you're contracting these beds. But yeah. this, this is where I get a little controversial. I said, look, the Salvation Army in, in, in any country, unless you're contractually obligated, where we've said we're gonna do something, there's very few things that we have to do we right. have to be a worshiping community, right? And yeah. in, in most, like wherever there's a core and there's a Salvation Army officer, that person serves as a, as a pastor or a theologian in the community, right? That yeah. person needs to act that way. But there was nothing to say that we had, just because for over a hundred years we had provided shelter, downtown Tampa, doesn't mean that we have to do it tomorrow. And that, yeah. that's a really interesting point that we came to where we said, we don't have to provide shelter. We can stop, you know, if we're not gonna have the funding to do it, we will stop. Right, now that then they started to look at us in a very different way <laughs> in yeah. that moment yeah. because they thought they had us in that, that point, but ultimately, like if we can't fund the work that we're called right. to do, we have to be willing to say, maybe god's directing us someplace else
1: absolutely absolutely and and you know, um, I remember the folks at the county sort of looking at us askance, thinking, what are they talking about? I mean the moment we we the moment we um, take the position that we don't have to do this, we become more powerful in the relationship, not less powerful. Right. And I think they understood that. Um, and I, you know, I, I've, I'm a very strong advocate for. There are some contracts you just don't want. Right. Just because people are throwing, it can be large sums of money. Right. Being thrown at you, but there are some contracts you just simply say thank you, but no thank you because they don't they don't do what they're not either. They're not missional, right? Right. Uh, or they they simply are going to bankrupt. Us. It's just a bad investment. Um, and 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 so, and here's another kind of contract that I I am a very strong advocate for walking away from, and that is a contract for twenty thousand dollars that's going to cost you thirty thousand dollars to administer. Right. You know, (laughs) and you say, nope, uh, no, I can't spend that kind of time on that.
0: Well, a lot of times what happens when you do that is that you you put those programs in place, salvage army officer moves, and you hire staff. You become emotionally connected to these staff. They're involved. Like, you see them every day. And when the contract's over, uh, you don't want to let them go. But you need to. Yeah.
1: I remember that was one of the very painful activities you had to engage in early. Yeah. And that was to let go of staff who no longer were funded by any grant you had or contract.
0: Essentially, Um, we came to a place where we said every bed needs to be funded and we would have 10 beds that we would use that were flex beds that we'd be able to say, all right, we'll do what we want with these. But it's interesting, you could take the same concept and we did yeah. with that $40 a night, we then had the hospital systems come to us and say, yeah. well, we'd like you to um, we'd like you to provide a few more services and tell us what that might cost. Well, we then had the tool to do that and we could add those mm-hmm. services on. And we were able to develop, and now the costs a little bit more, but they were able to pay $150 a night for the beds. Right. And what ended up happening with that is it was a blessing to the hospital systems, and we Absolutely. then had margin. The hospital systems were paying more than a thousand dollars a night to keep people in yeah. their beds, and now yeah. we have people who we believe God's calls to serve. We're compensated, and we have a little yeah. bit of margin, which enables us to do something that, that can create some space for us to serve
1: other people. Absolutely, and it all goes back to knowing that your cost per day, right, was forty dollars, and I mean, this is you- power. Yeah, it is. It's, the beautiful thing about it is we talked about that statewide in support at 12 percent right. or 11.8 percent if you want right, to be right, exact. Right. But, um, but that's not the only administrative cost you have at right. your location. Right. The beauty of the cost matrix is that it covers all of your administrative costs. And if you
0: want to get this, you know, just send me a note. You can go to andymiller com and um, I'll get you in touch with Don and others who can really help you with this. I know Don's done some teaching about this all over the country, not just for the Salvation Army, but for other organizations as well. I want to get to one more thing, Don, and okay. I've used some uh, something that you taught me, and I think it's just helpful. This is the same idea of like it's a leadership principle to figure out what it is that we're trying to do what is our goal and you helped me realize like with our sheltering too often we come to people and when they when the people we are called to serve would come to us we would put ourselves in a position where we were disabling their uh, moral personal energy like to willful to make willful choices yeah and um, you, you kind of helped us see like the, the true housing first model is to ask people yeah. this question. And so when they come to us, do you want to be housed? Yes. What is it that that question does when we ask people that?
1: It, it totally empowers. It, it changes the dynamic from us having to decide for people what they need to them deciding it. Mm. And once they decide it, it's, it's you know, it's actually... Um, it's God's teachings. Wow, yeah. Right? I mean, I say to people all the time, I don't go around wearing my religious beliefs on my sleeve. Just watch how I act and treat people. And you'll start to get an idea of what I truly believe and what I practice. And so what I want when I meet a person, and this comes from that very basic principle, I would like to believe that as a result of us coming into contact with each other, both of us are better as a result of it yeah but you have to give people or at least allow people to take ownership of their own power right and often with homeless people because i often say we equate homelessness with incompetence right we didn't believe that they had the capability of doing that but it changed the whole dynamic when we went from housing people night after night after night saying do you want to get housed and if you do are you ready to work as hard as you can as fast as you can to get housed totally different dynamic um yeah and 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 it's but when you think about it the simple formula i use is i treat people the way i'd want to be treated if i was in dire circumstances Right.
0: It's interesting, like, what ends up happening when we get there is that we, we're we saying, like, by, by letting people's will be involved, that they are given something by God. Like, we believe every person is created in the Absolutely. image of God. They have a creative capacity to thrive in life. Like, that yeah. God's – now, that doesn't mean that there aren't safety nets and systems. I mean, that's why we sure. spend a couple million dollars a year having a shelter. Like, it's not like we're saying, like, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But there needs to be. Or I shouldn't say but, and there needs to be initiative. There needs to be work that individuals do to take those steps so that we are not really what ends up happening is I, I think it's a sin of paternalism. Like we are doing things for people that they can do for themselves. For themselves. And that's that's also what led us to stop public feedings. So that's what's like the the way that we were also doing our, our soup kitchen. Um, now now I'm getting into real trouble with people, Don like but, I know you I mean, are if we're going to do it if you're really and I know I won't be a Salvation army officer later this summer but at the same time like really if we want to help people they've got to take those steps friends. we have to start with that asset that they have
1: yeah uh, well you know and um uh, you mentioned the other day and I do believe there has to be we have to mount some type of uh initiative to get people to understand that this whole um uh, you know, angel tree process is right. a toxic charity wow
0: it oh Don you're, are you ready to get something thrown at you
1: duck. I know I always say <laughs> every time I say that I, I duck because uh, there are people who would actually go after um, you or me oh
0: every, I have a few scars I have a few scars
1: yeah and, but, but the fact is is I'm not saying let's go away with it right. I, I always say let's make um, let's make angel tree year round uh, wow. We are we are in the business of helping people get to a place where they don't need the kind of help we're giving. Them. Right. Right. That we can walk alongside and praise and pray and and, you know, and and uh, do the work that this organization was was developed to do, and that is to win souls for Christ. Amen.
0: I mean, the challenge right? is that you, amen, I am with you. Yeah. The challenge is is like you have donors and you have people you're called to serve, people creating God, yeah. and both of them are creating God's image. I think the way Angel Tree and programs like it, and, and this yeah. goes to my friends who are pastors at churches, you know, we the, these same type of programs happen maybe on a smaller basis. What ends up happening is that we hurt the donors, and we yeah. hurt the people we serve. We hurt the people yeah. we serve by disabling their initiative, but then on the other side, we hurt the donors. We, we promote their messiah complex and that they think they've done something to help, yeah. right? Instead of yeah. really putting people in positions to see yeah. what they can do to come alongside people and not do things to people.
1: Yeah. And you know, when I used to talk to my students about how to develop good policy, I would talk about cost. But sometimes cost are not—it's not money. Cost is is a moral decomposition. It's an ethical decomposition. It's a spiritual decomposition. Yes. And you have to understand that those those decompositions have serious uh, impact yes. and deficits. Um, and what you want to do is to help people build up their strengths and their capabilities on multiple levels. And the only way you can do is is to walk with them, not pull them along or push them along, uh, but to walk with them in this journey. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Well, I'm yeah. thankful for that. I mean, we probably need to have like a whole separate thing on on a Christmas giving programs. I won't say yeah. the angel tree, right? Christmas giving programs. And, and really, they need to not be Christmas giving programs. They need to be right. year round programs, I think, that are, are building in lifestyle choices that accentuate people's desire to not be in a position of need.
1: Well, and I would say one last thing about that. Yeah. I think if we went to a donor and said, here's how we want to change the angel tree process. We can, and by the way, we understand what it costs us to provide one hour of service. Right, every amen, person amen. We yeah. serve. So we can tell you how much of your money is going directly to clients. But, but also that we are creating a process where we are helping people become self-sufficient enough to walk, this path without us having to provide support at that level. I don't think any donor I've ever met would say, no, no, I don't want that.
0: Right. Well, you know, I'm concluding my time in Tampa and I've been here for five years and thank God for it. But, you know, when we arrived, there was a unique situation and yeah. there were real challenges within the, the neighborhood because we were feeding so many people, the drugs right. and vagrancy, all and I'm not a prostitution right around on our property. It was completely overwhelming to me in the nature of how the shelter was working, how we were funded, the significant amount of debt that we had. He's like, how do you get out of this? And, you know, by God's grace and in, through his provision, uh, by God's provision and through his grace, he sent you you, and several other people, and like a wonderful staff that we have here in Tampa, other resources at our divisional headquarters, and, you know, we started to see my Lord knows the way, that, that my Lord knows the way through the wilderness and we worked our way through this problem. And when we started to invest in people's initiative, like who God's created them to be, what happened is the streets cleaned up. Yeah. Now that meant that people were mad at me for not feeding them anymore. But right. we, I was willing to feed them if they're willing to get into our program, right? If they're willing mm-hmm. to step out of homelessness. Mm-hmm. And what started to happen was that the neighborhood started to embrace us. They saw us as a, as a partner. And really, Don, like I, I, I'm close to getting emotional here. <laughs> I just thank God that, You know, he brought you into my life and I'm going, I'm going in a different path now dealing with seminary students, but I know there are people who need to hear this message and I wanted to have you on today just so that maybe I could pass on some of this knowledge, but I feel like I'm, I'm stealing it from my friend, Dr. Dixon, and I wanted them to hear (laughs) it from you. So thank you for your time today.
1: Well, you're welcome. And thank you. And um, you are going on a different path, but we are not parting ways. Amen. We, uh, we will be friends and for a long, long time.
0: I'm sure I know it. Well, I, I forgot one question. I always I've been asking people the title of my podcast is more to the story. So is there something is there more to the story of Don Dixon? Like, is there something that a lot of people don't know about you? you like to share?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I there are there are a couple of things. I, most people don't know that I'm actually a trained tailor. Really, I, I'm a master tailor.
0: All I, these, I, I've missed my my help.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't broadcast that very often. <laughs> but um, but uh, you know, I, I I gave my all my life. I've given myself. Um, um, things that I want to learn, tasks that I want to do, things that I want to master. I gave myself back in the early seventies, the task right after I graduated from undergrad to become a master tailor within five years. Wow. And that was my goal. And I accomplished that. uh, And then had my own business for a long time. Interesting. Um, That's one thing. And then I am also certified in the courts all over the state of Florida as an expert in child welfare. Wow. So you can be brought
0: in to testify?
1: I have was I've been brought in to testify in many many court cases. Interesting. As a as an expert,
0: and I get two I things. think you've told me about that, and I think that comes with a nice little
1: hourly rate, doesn't it? Y- yes, it does. It <laughs> comes with an incredibly hourly ra- incredible hourly rate. Maybe I have a new goal. Yeah, I, 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 no, just well, we'll have to consult because we always need those kinds of experts. Out there. We'll see. Well, Don, thanks so much for your
0: time. You've been a blessing to me through these five years. And I, I hope that this podcast helps other people. Again, friends, I ask you, would you please subscribe to this podcast? Would you go on uh, subscribe on YouTube, Apple podcast? Would you tell some friends about this? I'm sure there are some people who need to hear this type of message. And w- if you could pass along to them, social social service directors, um, kind of like CPA types, CFO types who might benefit from this so that we can see that it's not a sin for nonprofits to get a little profit and to use it for the kingdom. God bless you all, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Don.